All right, we're back for another Caveman's Corner. My co-host, Ray, I don't know where he's at, so we don't have a good intro today. He's the one that plays the Mexican music. Today, we're going to talk about fencing. Since we're a combat sports broadcast, I brought in a sort of expert in the field, Nels Thompson. How you doing, Nels? I'm doing great. I met this guy at the gym, and uh, he's kind of a mess. He's all sweaty. He had some, like, beer grown in. Today, he comes on my, my podcast, and I, I don't even recognize him. got a clean cut, haircut, clean shaven. He looks like 10 pounds lighter. What's going on, man? everything's good i actually uh since we talked i actually went back and started fencing it kind of inspired me to i i had taken some time off but uh, i went back to the club that's awesome man so what kind of fencing do you do i know there's a couple different types one you use like battle swords and you have body armor on right <laughs> well that <laughs> like is, on tv <laughs> that, that is out there that's not the kind that uh, is the olympic style fencing so i do uh i fence epe it's one of the weapons that they use in the olympics uh, there is a style uh, that people use the broadswords, and and that's a different sport entirely. Um, the fencing that I do is with the flexible blades that you just hit with the tip, and it's what you see that's on the it, on the Olympics every four years. That's awesome, man. Uh, I'm gonna start the podcast out with this before we get too serious. I've loved fencing ever since I saw Princess Bride. To be honest with you, that was one of my favorite movies of all time. That had to like really affect fencing. Oh, everybody, you go to a fencing club and everybody quotes Princess Bride. Everybody loves it. You know, it's the it's the movies that got everybody interested in fencing. Uh, you know, nobody watches Olympic fencing. You watch movies and you see sword fencing and, and uh, that's why people want to fence. It's awesome. Is it more like that kind of style fencing? Is there a lot of uh, like uh, pairing back and forth, like volleying, you'd say? I don't, I don't know what even what it's called. There's actually not a lot of it when uh, you're actually in about, in about, the action is over very quickly because you're going just until somebody touches. So um, when you were talking before, I think it's a little bit like boxing where right. if you're going to score when somebody hits, somebody comes together, boom, 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 and somebody hits, now that's a point. Right. So, I mean, every, you see boxing every time. You see how quick it is uh, for one person to touch another person. It's very quick. That's right. That's right. That's basically what fencing is time after time. About goes to 15 touches. First one to 15 wins. And... Uh, they uh the the action of any given touch might just be two or three or four clicks of the blade and then one one uh, person hits the other person gets the touch right so it's almost like um like you're sparring not sparring but almost like you're fighting with uh you know katanas like one strike one kill kind of stuff most of my listeners are into martial arts so they're probably more familiar with uh sword combat and if you think katana combat where you parry and slice that's pretty much I imagine fencing would be... That's right. It can be very direct. It can be... Sometimes you hit on the direct attack, and then a lot of actions are just, you know, someone parries that first attack and strikes right back, and that's a touch awarded. Yeah. So one really good thing about fencing that makes it athletic that I kind of like is you kind of fight... It was almost like on a carpet, it looks like, when they fight. Yeah. Um, what What is that flooring, actually? Is it carpet? It No, it's actually uh, metal, and it conducts. In a, in a competition, you ideally will have a metal strip because when the... It's scored electronically... And when you hit the, the floor, you don't want it to go off. You don't want the referee to think that it was a touch on the other person's body. So they actually, when you see Olympic fencing, they're fencing on a, uh, on a conductive metal strip. Wow, that's amazing. That's awesome. I always thought the referee awarded the, the points. Uh, that you can. We call that dry fencing. Hardly anybody does that anymore. You go to a club, sometimes you might have to fence without the electronic stuff. But if you ever give it a shot, you've got to fence electronically. It's a totally different experience because really, really light touches come are scored and uh that's a really great feeling when you're when you're fencing to have the uh to have those touches scored 
uh, the very light touches that a referee might not be able to see. It's a lot of fun. Yeah, that's crazy. I always imagined there'd be a lot of fighting. Like, it seems so... I always thought just because it was the Olympics, they never fought. But I can see now if it's... Oh, jeez. What a rookie. I have my uh, phone on, and I did the podcast, Rookie Mistake. I had it go off. Ah, you're fixing your phone right now. Yeah, it was my wife. I just texted her. I was like, I'm having that fencing guy on. She's like, the guy you met at the gym? That's kind of weird. <laughs> <laughs> but that's how podcasts work. You just meet people and, and you get it going. To continue my thought, I always thought that when uh, they were fencing that it was just such a high level that they respected each other. That's why they didn't argue with the referee when they called points. Yeah. That's pretty sweet. That It's definitely got that uh, history to it that there's a lot of deference to the referee. You salute each other and you salute the referee. Um, there's rules that you're not allowed to be coached while you're there. And um, it is, you know, people say that it's kind of the European martial art that uh, people are taught. You do, you do, we are taught with the respect for going onto the strip and uh, following all the rules and uh, abiding by the referee's decisions. So I know there's three styles of fencing because we talked before the podcast. I remember this from the gym, actually. I was really, I met this guy, I was cutting weight and I was sitting in the sauna and we just started talking about fencing. It was super cool. I learned a lot, man. So I want to bring some of this knowledge to you guys. I, Thought it was really cool, so I thought it'd be a good podcast. There's three different types of fencing. There's Ipe and what are the other two? Yeah, Epe, foil, and saber. Uh, yeah. Epe, I'm sorry. Yeah. So um, foil is the one that most people begin with, and it's probably has the most practitioners. When when you when you see the Olympics, uh, foil might be the most common weapon that you see. It's got a uh, rules of right of way, so you hit with only the point. It's very flexible uh, blade, and when you start an attack you're allowed to finish that attack. So if your opponent counterattacks you and hits, but you finish your attack, you actually get the point. So it's uh, it enforces rules of training, if you will. So it makes you defend yourself if you're attacked first. Then you have to defend yourself, and then you have to parry the other guy's attack, and then you can hit. I like it. Sounds like it rewards aggression. I want to be the first guy off. <laughs> it does. It does. Um, or it rewards laying a trap. Mm-hmm. That's right. Um, and it's um, the, the really cool thing about uh, foil fencing, and the same goes for saber. We'll get to it in a second. Is it's very cerebral in that way that you can plan an action, you can try to trap someone into an attack, and then you can uh, parry and counterattack them. So you can come back from behind in uh, in foil fencing, but in epe, there's no rules of right away, and the whole body is target. Um, I don't think I mentioned in foil the the torso is target. That's the only portion you hit off the torso. You hit on the arm. You hit on the mask. It's not a touch. Um, it stops the action, but not a touch. Epe, the whole body is targeted, and that's what I like. I like to fence Epe because, to me, it's the most pure combat sport. So the um, hands count? The hand, yep. A, a beautiful touch on Epe is to hit somebody on the hand, or it's, it's no fun to get hit on the hand. Yeah, that probably sucks. Even with the gloves on, that probably sucks. Yeah, you can really get hit on the knuckle because uh, the blades are a little flexible, and so because the hand is targeting Epe, uh, a lot of times fencers will try to flick just a little bit over the top of the bell guard and hit you on the, on the hand there. You can get hit on the knuckle pretty hard. So when you think about Epe, that's the one with the big bell guard. And the bell guard is right. kind of like where the, I would say, where the hilt of the sword meets the blade. Usually there's a, a cover over that, and that would be... Yeah, that's that's right. So the, the bell guard is, um, you know, if you see a movie, probably really fancy. It's right now next to the hand. Or, or maybe in a movie you might see a sword, and it, it's, not, it's not a circle that covers up the full hand. But in uh, the sport of fencing, that, that it's, a, it's a round guard that you know, protects you. That's protects cool. the hand. And then for the different um, swords, is a bell guard different as well? The bell guard's a little bit different. It's especially different for saber because saber is a, a cutting action where you, you don't actually have a sharp, obviously. None of these are sharp. But in saber, 
you can hit with the side of the blade. So sabers have got a, a bell guard that comes down over the fist and connects down at the bottom of the of the of the pommel on your hand. So your knuckles are covered by the bell guard. So like saber. brass knuckles without going through all the yeah, fingers. Yeah, that's right. That's right. Yep. Because a saber, a saber is uh, the head is target and they'll chop to the head. So they'll come overhand at you and chop to the head, and the sabers will lift their hand up to block that. And the bell guard covers those knuckles to prevent uh, to prevent them from getting hit that way, and they can parry, and then the sabers can counterattack. That's Damn, a really I, common counterattack action in saber. I don't think I've ever seen that. I have to watch the video you sent me. I know yeah. you sent me a video, and I didn't watch it because I suck. <laughs> <laughs> saber is, um, I hate to say this because I love Epe, but saber is probably the most fun to watch for beginners because they run up and down the strip practically. Basically, saber is the easiest one to hit the other person with. So when you start to be attacked in Saber, you better get the hell out of there or you better defend yourself because they can come at you and they can hit you overhand or they can thrust or they can come at you sideways. There's just a ton of ways for them to hit you. You're in great danger when you're being attacked in Saber. So uh, Sabers go up and down the strip trying to uh, make sure that they don't get it, they don't get hit with that first attack. And then when that first attack fails, then the one guy will <laughs> chase the other one back down the strip. <laughs> So it's, it has the most action up and down the strip, and it's a lot of fun. You can find Olympic uh, uh, videos of Sabre or World Championship Sabre uh, contests. they got super slow-mo and stuff like that. It's a lot of fun to watch. That's crazy. Uh, and you're talking about the strip. Uh, all three styles fight on the same strip, right? The yes, same dimension strip? Yeah. That's kind of interesting. Yeah, so you don't, uh, you know, you're just up and down uh, one strip. It's a meter and a half wide, I think. Um, if you go off the strip, then they stop the action. Maybe they they give the other person uh, a meter of territory. And if you get if you run off the strip at the back, then you lose the point. So, you know, you're you have to stay within that space. If you went off the strip, uh, you know, you'd give up a meter and you'd keep giving up a meter. Eventually, you'd go off. So yeah, one thing I, I'm uh, I relate everything. I watch the my sport fighting uh, MMA, and I, I notice how well they're timing in and out to each other. So they're always moving back and forth with each other when you watch good yeah. fencers move. And obviously it's because they can't go circle off to the side. And that that's what develops such an athletic style. Like they're so good at distancing and going forward and retreating back in a straight line. It's uh, actually pretty fascinating to watch the footwork. Yeah. Uh, and uh, really high level fencing. Yeah. We talked earlier about, um, you know, whether or not there were a lot of, you know, great actions with the sword in fencing. Um, but like any other other combat sports, timing and distance are really the factors that that make you successful at it. So that footwork, we're going chasing each other up and down the strip. I mean, they're they're not just you know they're not just messing around. They're they're trying to get an advantage. They're trying to draw an attack on favorable terms so they can counter it, um, or they're trying to get the distance to the point where they can successfully land. And uh, timing and distance is is everything. I, I would imagine I've never boxed, but I would imagine it must be really similar that you know the. The, the same action that isn't at the right timing or distance will fail. But you get to the right timing and distance, you outwork the person with your feet, and then you can land your touch. Yeah, boxing is a little bit more intricate with the footwork because they make the angles as well. So like fencing, you're just in and out. Boxing is like in and out on a 360-degree circle as well. So like you're always trying to make an angle where you can hit him with your power hand. He can't hit you with his power hand, you know. So when you're boxing, you're always trying to step away from his right hand so you can land your right hand. That makes sense. Yeah, with fencing, there's a little bit of angles that you that you might play, but you're absolutely right. You don't turn around. You're not you're not you're not going around to the other side, and you're only hitting, of course, with the with the lead as well. There's nothing nothing to be gained by that. Are uh, you are penalized so. for going off the mat or off the strip? Um, usually not. Usually that's just in the course of action, and they just call a halt. But if they feel it's done deliberately or it's done to avoid a touch, because once you go off the strip, then they won't avoid a touch. So you could go off the strip because you were in a bad situation. 
And they can penalize you for that if they feel you've done it deliberately. You gotta be like Dominic Hash and flip the net over every time they get yeah, right. by. <laughs> right, right. There's, there's, you know, it's, it's a sport. So there is, there is some of that that goes on. I mean, you know, um, do I ever go off the strip to avoid a touch? Yeah, sure I do. You know, do, do I get penalized for it all the time? No. So but, if you uh, get penalized, do you lose a point, or is it just like a warning, or how does the penalty work? Get a, you can get a warning, and then uh, they do a yellow card, and then a second one is is a point, and then. If, uh, very rare you can get um, uh, straight red cards, which would be a point, and uh, extremely rare w- would be gross sportsman uh, sportsmanship violation. You can get a black card. No, it's just like kicking someone and dingling in uh, MMA. You get a yeah. free one, you might as well use it. Yeah, yeah. Got to step would, off the mat. That would black card you. <laughs> <laughs> well, you guys can't kick, but we can kick, so we make it look like a little bit of accident. We're yeah. all good. So you yeah. got to press the rules when you get a little bit tired. Yeah. Um, are the, the sword standard size? Are they all... Like yeah. measuring and stuff before you compete. Uh, I've been having a longer yeah. sword, have a little bit longer touch. I mean, you know, it's funny. I don't think uh, they are all the same size, but they're they're manufactured, so you're not going to get one that's a that's a different size. Um, uh, maybe at the Olympics they actually measure the size just to be sure, but they do measure um, the the weight. Basically, at the end of the the point of the weapon has got a little spring loaded tip. So this is why it's so great defense when it's scored electronically instead of scored you know by by referees watching it. Um, that when you hit someone with that uh, with that weapon, it takes I think it's only 500 grams of pressure for uh, a foil to score, or 750 grams I think it is for um, Epe. And I don't they really do understand th- like how much of a touch that is. Like, not much. 750 grams of weight is not much at all. So yeah, right. Like oh, dropping a penny, pretty much. Um, be- you know, it's probably um, about like a soda can, probably. Yeah. yeah, probably about like that, like that much. Okay. Um. Yeah. Um, Man, my grams to ounces is not so good. Yeah. So it, it, you'd be surprised how easy it is. Um, but Except sometimes when you're fencing, you think you've hit, and you'd be surprised how hard it is. <laughs> um, but they test that with weight. So before about, um, they test a couple of things. They'll test, and the most critical one is that the spring inside the tip has got to push the weight back up. And if, you know, if they put the weight on and the light doesn't go off to show that you stop scoring, mm-hmm. then they won't allow you to fence with that weapon. And the other thing they test is they make sure that there's enough travel in the spring. So you, so you, it has to travel a certain distance before it will register the touch. And if, so if people shim it really, really fine, it'll, they'll be, then they'll be, uh, that weapon would be disqualified. Right. Cause it makes the touches actually work easier, right? Right. Like, exactly. Yeah. So they, they want a certain amount of travel and a certain amount of force to, they don't to really score measure the length, huh? So if I made a custom Epe for you. That would be very, very tough. hooked up, you know, make it another couple inches longer. It'd be, it'd be very tough <laughs> because there's actually, it'd be very tough to pass off a homemade one because uh, they're manufactured with grooves down the center and you put wires in them and the, and the tip screws into these things. It'd be very, very tough to come up with your own. And technically, uh, you do need defense with um, weapons that are manufactured to the right specification. They're stamped by the International Fencing Association. So, well, so we can't really cheat. Can't really do it. Yeah. I am a machinist. I mean, we could probably make yeah. you something could really cool. <laughs> <laughs> People do fence with different um, flexibilities. You know, the, the lengths are the same, but uh, sometimes people fence with something they, they prefer a really flexible weapon. Of course, that's a problem because, you know, the point wanders on you a little bit if it's really flexible. If you're trying to hit... Um, after uh you know after moving the moving the weapon around and that point is wobbling a little bit you're gonna be a little bit less accurate but we might also have people, like certain techniques correct yeah, that, exactly. like bend the blade to come over to guard yeah exactly they you know a flick and some sometimes um fencers will all actually flick and hit you in in the back 
because they're, they're, the bodies are coming close together and their hand will go up and they'll f flick down and hit you on the back. That's uh, that's an expert technique. I don't recommend people trying that. Is that legal? It's totally legal. So the back's a legal target too. Back is a legal target. Absolutely. So you can't turn around and run away. That's right. That's right. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I kind of <laughs> like that, I guess. <laughs> yeah. That's a, uh, that's a pretty amazing thing. I can't imagine how that developed. Do you have any idea how like all these styles developed and how the, where the rules came from? My understanding is that um, it was basically a training um, a training technique for uh, people who would fight with swords and especially with sabers uh, for for example cavalry back in the old days um, and it doesn't resemble actual combat very much but especially in saber, um, the techniques used would be the kinds of parries that you would use to defend yourself or the kind of actions that you would use uh, to hit directly. So I think that it was um, training for, uh, for, for military officers, military people, but I think it developed pretty quickly into something that was done um, for dueling. That's probably the most common use of actual fencing was in dueling. Like they duel and then like with real swords and yeah. stuff touches. Yeah, there's then... actual video because dueling went out of favor. Um, you know, into the 20th century, well, uh, we had there were still that duel. Jesus Christ! But yeah. they used guns because yeah. they weren't really tough. Yeah, there's a there's video um, of a Parisian editor and politician who insulted one another, and uh, they're actually fencing with uh, epes. And they're you know when it's, when you're not doing it for the sport. I mean, for the sport, you just you just you go you go hard mm -hmm. you go you you go deep you want to hit you try to hit the arm and if you miss the arm you want to hit the body so the actions are very very aggressive in uh in sport fencing but when you watch this duel and there's video of it you could look at it out there when you watch this duel they're standing they're holding their arms way out and they're just kind of trying to poke each other on the arm because nobody wants to risk that you would go deep enough and actually have that weapon penetrate into your body so it was you know they don't want to die in the video no, not in oh. that. No, they would do, uh, you know, they would do to, to first blood. Like, I understand that they would put, like, um, spiked tips on some of these weapons when they would, when they would duel. Uh, and so if it just drew blood, it was, you know, your honor was satisfied if you had dueled and then. Um, Poison a tip. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I think, I think dueling was, um, I, I don't imagine that there was much cheating in dueling because the whole concept was of honor. And this, so they would have seconds and there was a whole formality of, you know, if, if you felt as though your wife had been offended or, or insulted or something, you know, someone would say, well, I have to have satisfaction. And then, you know, two guys would get together, they would shoot each other or they would fence one another. And then their honor was satisfied, win, lose or draw. But of course, you know, some, you know, not too often probably with the fencing because I think they just went to blood. But I mean, there were people who they would get infections and they would die. Um, so it, it was definitely a dueling weapon, but that's that's. Hopefully, long gone now. Yeah, you I might, was, you might, you might get into that. But those of us that do sport fencing, we're yeah. not, we're not into the harder combat sports. I think my favorite weapon, my favorite sword to fight with, would be the katana. It's heavy enough to chop parts off and sharp yeah. enough to do a lot of damage. It's yeah, not, you know, like I could smash that your uh, your thing and probably break it. Is that a your, uh, samurai your, sword? Is that what the katana is? Or yeah, actually, uh, hang on one sec. I'll go grab mine out of the room. I'm. All right, sorry about that. I ran in my bedroom and I grabbed a sword. So this is a samurai sword. This is just a cheap uh, replica of one. Honestly, it wouldn't be one that I'd ever use because it would break because it doesn't have a full tang. So basically the sword just ends 
right here at the yep. cross guard. But this would be like a samurai sword or a katana. And that's that's a much more uh, devastating weapon, I think. Oh, far more. Yeah, yeah. This would be similar, not identical probably, to uh, the actual saber that, you know, cavalry officers would have right. used. Yeah. Um, is this... Uh Used in uh, kendo, but you use a wooden one. Am I yeah, right? Yeah, in, in kendo in they use a wooden one. It's like four pieces of bamboo tied together with string, and they whack you with it, and that thing sucks. But it's supposed yeah. to re replicate this a little bit. But this one's like a, got a curved blade, and a kendo stick's pretty straight. I'm not. Yeah. I never really got too deep into kendo enough to know if it was supposed to represent a katana. But this would be the sword that they would use in that time period. I saw a really super inter interesting video about the steel technology that went into making these back. Yeah, know, when they folded the steel. Years ago. Yeah, and they would pound it, and, it's, and they did like an x-ray cross-section of these things, and um, um, and they were talking about how how hard it is. You know, they made these things with old, you know, charcoal kilns, and right. uh, but they got, they, they had a special furnace that would get it to super hot uh, temperatures so they could, you know, make the steel of this hardness. And apparently, when they tempered it, they put it into, I don't know if it was oil or water or whatever, um, the curve comes because it when it when it hardens the the difference in the material is narrower on one side and thicker on the other one causes that little curve and i also read that the curve contributes to its slicing capability for this uh samurai sword that when you when you make a straight chop if the blade isn't curved right. you're not doing any slicing yeah because so you need the curve for it to go through yeah yeah so these are these are deadly deadly weapons and this would you know a weapon like this would just it would, it would you would easily you break off any of the weapons that we use at the tang yeah uh, but the our weapons do uh break from time to time and uh it's uh one of the most dangerous things that that happens in fencing is when the weapon breaks because it could break off and it could be a little sharp and uh you know the and so we wear uh kevlar equipment and the masks are to a certain standard and they had to improve them actually there was been a death in modern fencing like in the Damn. early uh 1900s from a face wound yeah yeah Ouch. Uh, yeah, a, a blade broke apparently and, and went through, I believe it was right through a mask. Or it may have been through the chest. I actually forget exactly where it was. Because those masks look, look like they're pretty pretty sturdy. They are. Yeah, they are. The danger thing would be if it broke off to a fine, um, if it splintered. And then you get uh, a thin wedge that goes into the to that mesh and then would, would widen it and could hit you in the face. So they're... they're uh, that's another thing they test before a competition is they take this little, uh, this tiny little, this little point and they press it in really hard. It's supposed to, it stands up. Those things are manufactured. They must be really well because you put a lot of force onto this thing. And um, if it, if it slides in between the, the mesh, you can't fence with that, uh, with that mask. One wow. of the dumbest things people can do is try to cheat that, uh, <laughs> try to cheat that pre- pre-match uh test yeah nothing cool ever happened with this i just caught a couple of kids birthday cakes with it <laughs> but uh i'm that's cool i love swords man and i think this one's cool i wanted to get uh one like you're talking about with uh not just a full tank sword but an official folded sword but to order like one from japan it's like 1800 bucks oh yeah wow that's the cheapest one i found and that's like used from some guy yeah really uh the uh the kimonos and and those weapons i mean they're they're i lived in japan briefly i was actually in the navy and uh, wow that's awesome man yeah. i should have sent you to give me yeah. a sword <laughs> save me a shipping <laughs> yeah I, I don't i think the yeah i think they're expensive over there too that's what i remember was the, the you know some of the some of the authentic uh things just like anywhere else you know mm -hmm. the, the authentic things uh, they're pricey 
I mean, you can get a real sword. I mean, this is stainless steel, too. It's not even, like, what you really want a sword made out of. But you can get a full tank sword or something for a couple hundred bucks. But I yeah. want one that was, like, handmade, you know, like, forged and stuff. I knew a guy that was forging them for a while, but his, his tried to make me one, but it sucked. <laughs> so I told him to keep it. <laughs> <laughs> do you do any kendo still? Or is this a long time ago? Or? That was a long... That was when I was in a high, uh, college. I was very fascinated by it in high school because I got super into karate. And then I ran into a guy in college that was really, really good at kendo. So uh, I started doing kendo with him, and I went to a club, and he used to beat the crap out of me, dude. I left bleeding so many times, but uh, it was really, really fun. And I really like kendo. It's very aggressive, and I really try and whack you on the hands a lot. Yeah. Is that is that even a strategy? Like you're trying to actually hurt so that a person will drop the weapon or, or I don't something? Know. The hand score. So the like hand if score. you hit, gotcha. the, hit the hand on the hand, it scores, and it hurts. Yeah, right, right. It hurts a lot. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> And their equipment is expensive because you're supposed to have the official kendo like gear, and it's a couple hundred dollars just for the chest piece. Yeah, it's like a yeah breastplate, right? Yeah, the, yeah. And it's like really, it's not like just some Kevlar armor you can get. It's something that's like crafted and it's expensive. I borrowed it when I used it, but it was uh, it didn't fit right. So I'm sure it'd be a lot cooler if I had stuff that fit. But I had a lot of fun with it. I mean, in, in fencing, um, you do get you get bruised sometimes when mm-hmm. I was fencing actively. Um, you end up with um, marks all over your uh, your arm and, and your chest, your leading arm and your chest, maybe around your uh, shoulder. Uh, they kind of look like hickeys. You just kind of <laughs> because you get uh, you know the the weapon will come in, it's blunt, and it'll just come in and like scratch you a little bit through the through the uh, clothing. But uh, but that's that's about as serious. So you get bruised maybe, but um, not not like you guys, not like not like you guys uh, fighters. Yeah. Ah. That's not so bad. Yeah. Usually you get hit hard enough you don't feel it for, you know, till you go home. Then it sucks. The worst part is in the shower when all the cuts get hit with the hot water. <laughs> the brush burns are the worst from the mat from the wrestling yeah. part, I would say. I think, honestly. I don't know. Yeah. Occasionally you get a little open uh, opening of the skin when you fence, too. Yeah. And uh, that stings a little bit. But it's really nothing like what you guys go through. Yeah, Saber, yeah. they say... Uh, they say with Saber because you have a you have a, a cutting action, so you can you can whip the blade around to to strike the target, and sometimes the guys will get stung uh, pretty good with this with the saber. I can imagine that would suck, and uh, I would be punched with the cross guard too. <laughs> well, that's yeah. <laughs> is that be, a legal technique? Oh. That is not a legal technique. <laughs> I like <laughs> you're, that. You're not the first one to ask, <laughs> but uh, yeah, that uh, any they watch for anything that would be contact to the head. It's like uh, protecting NFL quarterbacks. So. so you can't like trip or anything either. Like you can't like tie up the feet to score or no, no. It is totally. Uh, yeah, it's a it is totally designed so that it is only about uh, the point and the action, and there's no other um, there's no other physical combat to it other than just trying to put the point on the other person. So, ah, uh, this may sound crazy. I'm old and I'm not really set in my ways, but I think this would be a great way to develop some footwork and some time for MMA. So, if you had a a place to go to, where would you recommend? Uh, the club in town here, Les Amis, uh, L-E-S-A-M-I-S. Um, I'm that's, glad you that's spelled that because that French stuff's <laughs> not going to work so good with my listening audience yeah. for sure. <laughs> um, they'll uh, you'll hear French by the way if you watch videos on it in the Olympics. They they uh, French is the official language of, of fencing. Uh, but Les Amis here in town, um, they have a beginners class. Uh, they've got a beginners class starting on the 9th of January. Um, I think it's like 90 bucks and you don't have to get any equipment. You can borrow the club's equipment and it goes like eight weeks and at any beginner is welcome. Intermediate class follows. Um, I think it's, I think the classes are on Wednesdays at six o'clock, but uh, we can double check that. How many classes a week? 
Um, there's a couple of sessions a week with the club. And then uh, the class meets once a week for eight weeks. But uh, while people are taking the class, then, you know, they can they can come to the club. That's uh, pretty cheap. That's, that's, it is. It's that's a good like, deal. It's a good deal to give it a try for people. Who, you know, you don't have to buy any equipment. Come on in. It's a little bit over $10 a lesson. That's not bad at all. Yeah. And they're probably, you know, they're not, you know, there's not a ton of people that are always trying out fencing. If you come to a beginner's class, you're probably going to be one of four people and uh, thereabouts. Yeah. What if there's like a ringer guy that's been fencing 20 years, comes to the beginner <laughs> classes to tool us up? Yeah, then that's pretty obvious. Does that happen a lot? <laughs> no, I think the ringer, you know, the ringer doesn't want to uh, go fence with the beginners. So the ringer would want to, you know, fence with the rest of us an hour later. So Right. Yeah. I think that it would probably suck to fence with beginners. It's like a white belt in jiu-jitsu. They're always doing weird stuff and trying to hurt you. Like new fencers probably like do illegal strikes and all kinds of weird stuff if you fence with them. Uh, new fencers will tend to hit kind of hard because, you know, what? ideally you're making a very smooth action. Ideally, you know, you're, you advance and you extend the, the blade and you hit. Um, but if you're not in control, what do you do? You know, your, your hand goes back and forth. So you mm-hmm. end up with a punching motion even though you don't really mean to. So beginner fencers can be kind of painful to fence because they can hit you pretty hard. And then the worst thing is, of course, it might be half a second after you've already hit them. But yeah. I mean, so you have a beautiful touch. You, you won the point and then bam, you get it. <laughs> yeah. That's how it is rolling with white belts. If you ever do jiu-jitsu. Yeah. You should try that sometime too. You're looking yeah. young as felt now. Now it's time to get on the mat. <laughs> oh, man. Um, yeah. I, I'm... I'm I'm getting old and fat, so I gotta you, do. I gotta do something. Seriously, look like you lost ten pounds since I seen you at the gym. Well, I haven't, but uh, might, but I did. I did go back and begin to fence again. So might be the haircut too. Yeah, could be, could be. Yeah, you look great. Yeah, thanks. thanks. I notice every time you're um, showing some sort of fencing technique, you're always using your right hand. Are you right-handed? I am right-handed. So you yeah. lead with your dominant hand in fencing. Then that's right. Yep. Mm-hmm. Dominant leg and dominant hand. I mean, so when you. You know, most people have probably seen fencers, you know, they stand with the, the one hand is up, their back hand is up kind of by their, by their head. And then, you know, they, they, they stand in a, in a stance where their front leg is point, front foot is pointed towards the opponent. And then they're holding the fen- the weapon out with the same hand. So it kind of, you know, it, it's a, it's kind of a dainty looking uh, uh, stance uh, in the, in the diagrams from, you know, hundred years ago and a couple hundred years ago. Why do you have the other hand up, the left hand, like towards your hand? If you in if you cover target with it, you can be penalized for it. Also, the uh, the natural thing that you want to do uh, just for maximum uh, acceleration is that when you when you go forward with your dominant hand. So when I go forward with my right hand and my right foot, I throw my left one back because. It just helps you make that more efficient action, kind of, you know, like when you're running and you strange your body out. So you're going from uh, like a square with the target to extend it out. Yeah. It shortens your target it's range. Conservation. Too. Yeah. Conservation of momentum that anything, anything I throw backwards is going to help me go forward. It's going to contribute to my forward acceleration. So you hold that hand up and then it's just, it's just, you throw that hand back. Um, as you go forward, it keeps it out of harm's way. So it can't be hit because once you get into an action, I fence epi, so the whole body is target. So I don't want to get hit on that backhand. It's one of the worst feelings in the world to get hit on the backhand in epi. What the heck was I doing that for? I'm not going to lie. I may, may have made a few off-color homosexual jokes about the way people stand in fencing. <laughs> <laughs> 
Uh, that's all right. I do a sport where we wear yeah. spandex and roll around with each other on, right. the, on the floor. So <laughs> that's right. like, I, each sport's got its own little thing, man. I don't, that's right. don't take any offense to none, it. None taken. None taken. <laughs> yeah. The, uh, it's interesting to see the old diagrams. You see these old diagrams and um, they're trying to document. I mean, these are old drawings of, of different defensive positions or attacking positions. And uh, it looks like you know, they're not even holding the weapon sometimes because they're, you know, they're just not – even really drawn to a realistic scale you've got a guy in knickers and he's got a hat on and and you know he's uh he's got his hand out and his wrist is down and uh he's deflecting a blade but then when you see uh when you see olympic fencers and you know they're standing on the strip they're ready to go they're all business it's really really cool and i love i love watching videos of uh of top level fencing the 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 body control that they have and the uh, the aggression that with which they the controlled aggression that they come after each other with is really 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 amazing. I like I like the just the whole vibe of it too. It's so respectful. It at is. Times. It reminds me of Muay Thai, like the Muay Thai kickboxing or traditional Muay Thai kickboxing. They like go after each other and they're so respectful towards each other, but they're trying to kill each other. Yeah. You know, and that's kind of like how I imagine this since. That's probably how it originally started. We're really trying to kill each other, but we're going to have a lot of honor. Yeah, it's got that tradition of dueling, so it came out of that uh, that tradition of honor. Uh, there was, you know, I read a book. I forget who it was. Uh, there was there was some famous, I think it was Hungarian fencer, um, you know, from the 1950s or 1940s who had come out of the tradition where they were dueling. And, um, and there are people who believe that when dueling went away, society became less polite because you could insult people without ever paying a price that's so funny because they i don't know how much you watch hockey but they say the same thing about hockey once they put the instigator in and uh they really took out fighting kind of like the game got more chippier and dirty and guys are doing stick work on each other it's not like the old days where like if there's a big hit or you stuck someone your, your goon's gonna come out and beat up whoever did it i'm a big hockey fan and um the i think it was just in the sabers game that uh nathan Beaulieu came after uh one of the flyers players at the end of the game, um, they'd hit somebody. It was a legal hit, came after him. Um, personally, I, um, I don't like that in the sport. Um, and one of the reasons that I think, uh, one of the things I, I'm probably in the minority in this podcast here, but <laughs> um, what I really like about top level sport is when you got to subordinate that instinct to go harm the other person to the rules. So um, in fencing, you know, if you, if you, if you're, constantly being respectful to the ref and constantly being respectful to your opponent then then that instinct that you might have that you know you've just been stung or you don't like what happened that you know i think that's the best of sport is when is when we don't go outside i remember the the tyson holyfield uh <laughs> fight which you know the thing that was so discouraging about that was that tyson gave into that instinct to do harm you know and when you at the best of sport and the best of one-on-one sport there's that instinct, but you're sublimating that instinct within the rules of the game. And um, so whether it's boxing or whether it's fencing or whether it's hockey, I wish, uh, you know, extracurricular stuff would come out of it. And uh, Tyson might be a little bit hungry. But here, <laughs> yeah. let me play devil's advocate a little bit here. Uh, the Tyson thing is not going to really fit my theory because that's just a little bit out there. But in a team sport, it's much more different than individual sports. So when we're, uh, we're con- conducting ourselves, if I was fencing you or you were fighting me, and we're both following the rules. There's no reason to for either of us to get upset. You honorably beat me. But if we're playing a team sport where uh, it's, it's important for me to be a member of the team and we're a team together, 
if you come after one of my players and you do something that I think, it doesn't even have to be uh, against uh, the rules, something I consider cheap. I may try and take you out or, or do some uh, damage to you because you've hurt one of my players, one of my team. It's like that gang mentality in team sports. You see that more in team sports like football and hockey and, you know, gang warfare kind of. It's just... I definitely, yeah, I can definitely see that that's there. And I know a lot of people say that that's part of hockey. And I didn't play hockey other than just pick up. I never, I never played it, you know, at a high level. And some people say that's part of the game. Um, I think that in the NFL, they punish fighting very, very strictly. We and just had a so, fight at the Bills game like two weeks we ago. Did, but but that's, that's pretty rare, though. I mean, that's not really, I don't think that any football player says that's part of the game, you know, the way they do with hockey. Um, and and they come down on those players pretty hard and kick them out and uh, and get them and, and find them. I think that in those physical sports, what you're talking about definitely occurs. But I think at its best, when the I mean, I get philosophical about this. I think that happens within the rules of the game. So like, when, when your player gets laid out, um, then you want to be physical with that other player, but you want to do it within the rules of the game. You don't want to you don't want to chop block them. You don't want to you don't want to fight them. You want to just be super physical, double team. And there's ways. I mean, I hear football players say there's ways when somebody's coming across the middle, you got their number, you know what they did last time you played, and there's ways to really put the hammer on them. Um, and that's, you know, that's brutal. That's brutal, but it, it's within the rules of the game. And I think that that's where sport is at its best is when everything is within the rules of the game. Obviously, people go close to the line. Um, you can't really take that out of sport because sport is competition. You're trying to do anything to get an edge. But I think at its most beautiful and at its best, you're doing it within the rules of the game and uh, and not going outside to uh, committing penalties and the like. I think I just have a different uh, outlook of the whole sport itself. Um, I, I view sport as a competition where we're all trying to win. And as a team, sometimes winning for me is being a, a good teammate. And uh, sometimes it's more about winning and overcoming as a, a team together than as an individual. And the rules of the sport be damned we're going to look out for each other you know because that's where all sports come from is that just that desire to to exude dominance that we all feel kind of not kind of that we all feel for real yeah <laughs> I, I can see that the, why people say that that's a part of the game and i can also see you know their hockey players will say um hockey players will say that uh they need to police the sport because uh, if somebody goes after with somebody with a stick, then they're going to have to stand up to a bigger, tougher guy and, and pay a price for that. And they and ho some hockey players will say that helps keep the game safer. I don't know that I buy it, though, because once you start to do that, you get some really ugly things. Like um, you get the Bertuzzi incident where he came back and he came and sucker punched somebody from behind, somebody who had put a hit or done something. I forget what it was. So once you get into this retaliation thing, you open up, you open up, some some ugliness in the sport i think that's my personal opinion i know uh you know i haven't i've never done a combat sport other than you know fencing is just a really a simulation it's a, it's a combat sport eh, it's, it's, I, I would say it's a combat sport perhaps perhaps but I, I recognize the difference though i mean i i took a little bit of karate a long time ago i mean just a little bit like i was a yellow belt i think i mean just so just a little bit but i enough that i i mean i did see it i did see the difference between you know the physicality i can remember our sensei put us in a in a closet one time you know and they're like holy mackerel i mean put you your just, foot in the tire don't move oh man the boxing <laughs> drill where you both put your foot in the tire and you don't move you just fight the whole round with your foot in the tire and just hit each other that's one of the things we probably do agree on is i think one of the most beautiful things about sport is what it brings out of you um 
I'm telling myself, hey, I'm going to try to lose some weight and I go and I ride a bike or I do some running or something like that. But nothing drives me like competition. Nothing drives me like being in on, on the strip fencing. And that experience when, when I was in that karate class, I can remember being in that closet and I could not believe how exhausted I was after, you know, three minutes. Of that. <laughs> unbelievable, like just, just unbelievable exertion. And that's a beautiful thing about, you know, sport challenges you for that. That feeling, you don't get that feeling anywhere else. No, I, I think as human beings, we're, we're designed to feel that too. And I think people that aren't kind of missing out on life. It's an easy way to get rid of your frustrations too. Yeah, I agree. I'm not a very good fencer and I'll change the topic just a little bit. Um, I'm a very, I'm a really mediocre fencer if you talk about competitive fencers, but I'm pretty decent for a local club fencer or was. Um, but there've <laughs> been, yeah, but there've been times that, that I've had actions, I've had touches where it was so perfect. It was, it was the way you train. It was, it was a delicate t- little touch, like just out fencing the other person. And the feeling that I've had the handful of times, I mean, not, not even a lot of times, but sometimes when it has been so perfect, I think to myself, I don't think that Michael Jordan felt any differently after a great play. I think that's what it feels like. Now, obviously, I've never lifted the Stanley Cup or anything like that, but that excellence, that outperforming another person at a high level, that's a feeling that I've never had anywhere else, and I'm glad I've had it in my life, even though, you know, I'm not I'm not a great athlete, but I've been enough of an athlete that I've experienced that, and a lot of, maybe, maybe a lot of people haven't, and it's a great feeling. I think it's a great feeling as well. I mean... I can't describe what it feels like to win an MMA fight or, or a kickboxing match or, you know, even a wrestling match, to be honest with you. It's a, it's a great feeling. And I think everyone should at least give sports a try to feel that. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's so – it's hard to even put into words, like, how that feels to me. I mean, that's the whole thing that drives you to do, like, three months of hard training camp, hating your life, watching every – thing you eat or drink put into your body you watch me cut like 13 pounds off in like two days to make weight and well this is a podcast so you've been saying that i look like i dropped some weight but you know this guy you right here yeah <laughs> uh, you're the real deal uh yeah you you are a chiseled man <laughs> <laughs> yeah with two sweaters on right now because it's winter time and i don't have any fat to keep me yeah, warm <laughs> yeah but you you've worked very hard yeah, yeah yeah it's tough to be 41 and compete i'll bet yeah Speaking of age and slowing down a little bit, how much does physical ability play into fencing? Is it more skill and technique and timing, or is there a point where when you start to get a little bit slower, you're not going to be able to perform as well? Uh, Definitely, there's a drop-off over time. Um, At the highest levels of fencing, it's a young person sport, definitely. Um, It Probably fencers hang on a little longer uh, than most sports because – um, it does reward wiliness <laughs> so much. So, uh, it's not uncommon to see an Olympic fencer in the late thirties or 40, 42, but, um, but not, not older than that. That's pretty rare. Um, and, and but we did have, I think, uh, the Epe in the last, uh, Olympics was, I think like a 22 year old against something like a 39 year old. Wow. Yeah. And it was kind of sad. The, uh, the old guy was ahead, um, by like five touches or four touches at the very end and uh, lost them all. And uh, he only needed one touch to win. Oh. And uh, and he lost like five in a row to the young guy. And uh, so he never got his gold medal. And, you know, he's an older guy, so he'll probably never be back. So That's so, tough. Yeah, it's tough. It was, it was a beautiful bout to watch the highlights of, and it was really tough, especially as an older guy, to see here's somebody that, you know, 
in, at about 40, you know, I'm 51 now, you know, somebody who had about 40 achieved, he was on the gold medal strip in the Olympics, you know, he wins that, he gets one more touch, he wins the gold medal, it's culmination of his entire life. And uh, he couldn't do it, and the young guy won. It was a great tough. Belt. That's the recurring theme lately, but the old guys have been winning lately in MMA. No, that's good, that's yeah, good. So the old guys are starting to come back, so I don't know, I would, I would say that I feel like my timing is better than it's ever been. Like I see things better, so my timing's better as I've getting older. Um, I'm, I've noticed my my physical ability is a little bit slower. Like my footwork to get the position is slower, but I'm starting earlier, so I feel like I really haven't lost too much of a step. I feel like my timing's a lot lot better than it ever was. So I could see in a sport where, you know, maybe there's less like in wrestling, there's less scrambles or or jujitsu MMA where the guy shoots in on your legs, he's trying to grab your leg and take you to the ground, and you're doing all kinds of different positions to escape him and get back up where it matters whether you're young or old and how flexible your knees are and all that stuff. But I, I feel like in a sport like fencing, like probably like 32 to 39 is probably when you're starting to be right into your prime almost. Um, I, I think most of the very best fencers are still in their 20s and and not so much into their 30s, but they don't lose a lot. So there's a lot of fencers that are still successful in their 30s. That's true. Um, and then at a club level, you know, people fence into their 60s and even 70s. Um, and uh, it's uh, it's a rewarding sport. I mean, because it, it's, it's hard work. It's kind of like... Um, I mean, but it's, it's not brutal work, you know, so it's a combat sport, but you don't, you don't get, you don't get beat up. So you can it do, would be you can do it for a long time. You would be if you didn't have the safety stuff on though. You Just would, think about that. Yeah, that's right. That's right. In fact, it's really important to always put it on because you might think you get, you get used to it. And there've been times like, um, sometimes, you know, you do it for years and you don't, you don't remember sometimes how dangerous it would be. Just you're, you're carrying a point and he's carrying a point and sure it's blunt, but if you don't have that mask on and you walk toward each other and you know, you could easily, you know, have an eye put out. You put out his eye. (laughs) Yeah. You got it. You really, you really do want to be disciplined about making sure you always put the mask on and uh, you know, always that's, that's the most important thing. Always put the mask on when you are, you know, coming into proximity with a weapon. Sometimes after, you know, about people take a mask off and they're walking around, but they're holding these things still, you know, anything, you know, <laughs> you might want to not be, you know, they're kind of at eye level when you're holding this thing, you might hold it down and the, and the weapon is up against your shoulder, kind of like a rifle is, well, you know, it's kind of eye level. <laughs> it's not, it's not like it's a super dangerous sport, but you do wear safety equipment for a reason. And it's important. It's important to make sure you have it on. Awesome, man. You got to get, you ever watch Highlander? Yeah, absolutely. That's what I like. Yeah. When you said that, all I could think of a way is uh, from the TV show, the way Duncan McCloud always holds his sword just like that. Yeah. It was yeah. like they're always up, like the play was always up to him. I was always like, man, if someone just touched him. That's the, that's the other one. There's, well, there's, there's Star Wars. Star Wars, yeah. Princess Bride, and Highlander are, you know, they're just, they're famous, famous uh, um, among fencers. Everybody loves that. I think Princess Bride is the biggest one. Uh, you know, I am not left-handed yeah. either. Is you, you hear that all the time. <laughs> You're like a work of art. I would not destroy you. Thonk. Yeah, yeah that, that was great. We always we were just talking about that the other day. Me and I don't even remember who, but we were just talking about the surf fight scene. It's just yeah. awesome. Everyone knows that scene. Oh, yeah. It's huge for surf fighting. Did you watch the TV show Highlander or the movie Highlander? I watched. There was the movie that was the long the one from a long time ago. I don't think I've seen the TV show. Yeah, I have all the DVDs downstairs, man. I, I love that show. I was like addicted to it because they had lots of sword fighting yeah. in it. And you could tell the actors didn't really know how to fight with swords, but they did seven seasons. So by the end, they had that shit down. And he was able to, to fence pretty well. Yeah, was, there were some really good sword fights by the end of the run of the show. 
Yeah, there's um, there are uh, uh, Hollywood choreographers that will teach you know how to do the movie sword fighting. I understand that that's a little mini industry out there is to make sure that actors can can manage a sword fighting scene for movies like Zorro and Highlander and stuff like that. Yeah, they got to make it good. Zorro. When I was a kid, I used to love Zorro because yeah. I didn't have cable, so I didn't have any cool shows to watch. And uh, I grew up kind of watching old Zorro stuff, so I no like that a fighter. Was, I know. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I should have been a sword fighter. Good thing I didn't find fencing. I found wrestling at eight instead of fencing, or I'd probably be a fencer somewhere. So you've been fighting your whole life then? You found wrestling at eight, and you've yeah. been doing it ever since? I didn't really have a dad. My dad wasn't really around in the picture. I mean, he's back in my life now, but him and my mom split. and So I didn't have a dad growing up, and then I found wrestling, and the coaches gave me so much. It was like having a positive male role figure, and... I just fell in love with the sport. I was kind of like induced in. Wrestling is another culture that's kind of like a gang mentality. You could just get in there and grind and grind and grind, and that's your family, and you cut weight together, and it's just a really positive experience. I think wrestling is really awesome, personally. I've never wrestled, but to me, wrestling is one of those pure sports. It's, I think fencing is up there, too. There are certain sports that I think are you know, just beautiful sports. Um, I think soccer is one. I think fencing is one. I think wrestling is one. Um, it's so pure. It's got rules to it, um, but uh, it's just one-on-one combat. I think it's really an amazing sport, and it does have quite a following. I remember um, if, if you go to a tournament, like I went to the Florida State Games a long time ago in the, I guess it was in the 90s, and uh, there were probably 40 spectators watching fencing, and they were all you know family members. And then <laughs> you know, right past a divider, there was this mat for, for wrestling, and there were probably 500 people and they were screaming yeah. and hollering so yeah. you're wrestling pr- is cool you're probably the only person that thinks wrestling <laughs> wrestling is a spectator sport like <laughs> amateur wrestling not like the pro wrestling because there's like i mean we saw ncaa's but that's about the best when i wrestle in high school there's probably like 80 people you know yeah and then there's like you know 800 people for football and basketball but that's a big deal where i come from yeah, yeah. so when you were eight years old and you uh do you remember what that felt like i mean to be exposed to wrestling and then you fell in love with it what well, I remember getting beat up a lot, and then I finally went to wrestling, and I was a little, little kid, you know, like the eight-year-olds my size were, or my, the other eight-year-olds, not my size, the other eight-year-olds were much bigger than me usually, so I got pushed around a lot, and then I found wrestling, I could finally get my hands on someone close to my own size, and even though he was better than me, it, it was an amazing experience, and then the coach was kind of tough, but he was like an old-school coach, you know, and I don't know, at that time, I was just... I was, um, I don't know, I was looking for a male role figure, really. You just, I didn't even know what it was supposed to be like. I just saw it on TV, and he was a stereotypical old-school coach, and I just fell in love with Coach Esslinger, and then ever since then, I love wrestling, and I got into it, and then I got good, and then I was able to beat people up, and it was fun. That's cool. That's cool. Yeah, and then I broke a kid's ribs, and we weren't allowed to wrestle in uh, school anymore. There was a great. <laughs> was story. that in a comp- that was in a sanctioned competition? No, you, no, or no. In, it was in gym class. In gym class, gotcha. So, like, I got good at wrestling, and I was eight, and I was still kind of a bully. I didn't really know how to. I just kind of internalized everything and let people pick on me. I didn't really understand that you're supposed to stand up for yourself because I, my mom was like, "You don't get in trouble, don't get in fights, you'll be in trouble," you know. And I was scared of my mom, of course, so I'd never do anything to get in trouble at home i'd rather rather get beat up than have my mom yell at me because my mom was like the scariest thing in my life at times and so i we were wrestling and this kid that picked on me all the time like every day bullied me used to flick me in the ear did all kinds of stuff 
we got to go to wrestling in gym class. It was just regular gym class wrestling. So I just scooped him up with a double leg, and I came down and buried my shoulder right in his ribs, and I busted his rib. Oh, man. (laughs) (laughs) That was the coolest thing ever. (laughs) Was was, was that, did you get your ear flicked after that, or was that the end of that? That was the end of that. Yeah. Then he uh, he tried to, I got in trouble for, I forgot, I got in trouble for it, but it was, and then they didn't let us wrestle in, uh, in gym class anymore so did, not, uh, wrestling you, was only wrestling what'd your coach tell you did he know about that and, he was a uh, the gym teacher so he oh was, so he knew about it he smiled he liked yeah, it yeah, he yeah. didn't really care yeah. he said it was a great double yeah, that's good <laughs> when they teach you wrestling um are there like rituals like i mean in fencing we salute an opponent i think when i've watched wrestling you shake hands and i mean i'm sure that wrestlers are taught you know respect for the mat respect for the opponent i mean right. it's probably pretty similar is there a ritual that uh, like that not in freestyle like uh, international wrestling um you open up and the ref makes sure you're not sweating and you pull out your blood rag make sure you have your blood rag and you put it back in and you go blood rag yeah in case that you're sounds bleeding. terrible you, you ever clean your own you, blood really yeah really you have to go into the mat with a blood rag yeah like wow no it's just international not in high school in high yeah, school yeah yeah no but now they got trainers and everything but, but that's how it was in the yeah, day because just in case you start to bleed and you gotta you gotta show that you're prepared man you see fencing <laughs> fencing is a totally different thing because they they'll they'll uh feel inside your jacket to make sure you're wearing um a chest protector underneath there and uh you know so yeah you don't have to have a blood rag in fencing well and wrestling (laughs) you're getting hit in the nose a lot and if you're you're leading with your head like you're supposed to because you should hit with your forehead because if you ever your head bent over it's bad for your neck you want to be hitting them like forehead first so if you got a big nose like me obviously you're gonna break it a bunch of times running into someone's chest and i broke my nose a bunch of times actually wrestling so yeah. I broke my nose. So that's from that's from wrestling. I probably broke my nose wrestling more than I have fighting, to be honest with you. Wow. I've been fighting since 1995. So. I heard that people get used to that. Yeah. Is that true? You get used to having your nose broken? I guess. I mean, I can break my nose I now. Can hardly, even, I can hardly I imagine it. I mean, look at... I can move my nose all the way around. It's yeah. It's not very... This whole septum is blocked off. Yeah. Yeah, it's not so good. <laughs> <laughs> like, right that's now... That's interesting to I, me, I look though. forward to getting hit, because when I get hit... It flattens out my nose a little bit, and this side drains because right now it's totally filled up. So when I get hit, it opens up that septum a little bit, and all the snot can come out, and then I can breathe like a normal person for a couple of days. Oh man! Till uh, the swelling goes down and it heals back up. <laughs> oh man! Oh man! Yeah, that's a that's a different world. Yeah, great injuries, and then you gotta get yeah, some cool yeah. ears like this, you know? Yeah, yeah. Just cauliflower ears going on. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's wild. It's wild. That's all from jujitsu, those cauliflowers. I never really got cauliflower wrestling. Head, headlocks? Is that what that's from? Or? Uh, yeah. There's a, a technique called a triangle choke, and I I'm mm-hmm. yeah pretty known for getting stuck in a triangle choke. So they put their legs like this around your head, and you have one arm stuck stuck in there, and basically, uh, they're trying to put you to sleep with it. So I was really good at ripping my head out, and that's how I started getting cauliflower because I'm really hard to choke, yeah. And uh, I just shuck off the. Uh, the triangle choke and it scrapes on your ear yeah and that's how i got my ears pretty jacked up yeah yeah wow wow that's wild that's a it's a that's a tough that's a tough business that's a tough sport that's yeah. cool though that's cool i think you like it. it's very very technical like the jujitsu without punching and kicking is super super technical and i mean we have older guys at the gym that train uh i know a guy I don't know. Schuster looks like he's 102, but he's got to be in his 60s, and he's training. That's cool. So, yeah. That's cool. I, I might come by and at least see it. I, I wanted to do that, actually. I, th- I wanted to come by your gym and at least at least watch it. I mean, I'm, I I think I'd actually hurt myself. if I, I don't think I have flexibility. I think I'd actually hurt myself to give it a try. But uh, but I'll come by, and I'll take a look at it. Yeah, I'd like for to do sure, that. man. Western New York yeah. MMA. Yeah. We're right over on Great Arrow, man. Yeah. I'll, come be my guest. I'll get you a class or two. All right. 
I'll hook um, you up. The, uh, one of the things that I read about wrestling, which is, I think, really fascinating, is um, uh, that when people discuss with it, well, you see all these videos about these karate um, or styles of karate and how, you know, there's this mystical... Um, this mysticism sometimes around the style that this this master can't be hurt or you know but once they actually get into the ring it's jujitsu i believe is the technique that takes them all down um that that when it becomes a sport when it becomes a well when it becomes real when it becomes you know there's not rules about the form but we're just gonna go at one another and make the other guy submit that then you get you know a lot of the a lot of the uh, styles go out the window and you go to ground. And right. That's, yeah, that's what happens a lot. Yeah. Um, fencing had something that's a little bit similar happen a while ago. It used to be uh, that fencing was in that older style with the, the hand was up in the air and, you know, they were, I don't want to, you know, kind of dancing down the strip at one another. And then uh, apparently, I think it was sometimes like in the 70s, early 80s, uh, some cats figured out that you could just go for it. You could just, I mean, <laughs> the whole point was, the whole point was not the tradition of, attack and defend and parry and you know advance up the strip but the whole point was merely to touch the other person before they touch you and that when you made it an athletic contest um you know some people argued it took some of the beauty out of the sport and i think maybe with uh, mma maybe some people feel like some of the forms of karate like i'd imagine taekwondo doesn't work inside uh you know all right <laughs> Fish your thought, and I'll go into a whole spiel for okay. you. Okay, okay. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so so uh, one of the things I do love about these combat sports is when, they, when they're not just um, practice, when they're actually, you know, fencing is one, that, that there's rules to it, but when the, you know, it, is a, it is a sport contest. You are trying to touch the other person before they touch you, and so it doesn't always resemble what's in the books and the diagrams. And that's, to me, when it really gets brilliant is when it's, when it's stretching itself to become something that's different and super aggressive and super athletic. And when I see, you know, Olympic fencers, it's just, it's just beautiful to see what they're capable of doing. Right. So, uh, to go to the MMA aspect of that in 1993, uh, UFC started and they had karate guys and Kung Fu guys and street fighter guys. And they tried to represent every art and they had this skinny little Brazilian guy, Hoist Gracie. Uh, they actually put him and his whole, his older brother, um, Hickson, was this huge jack guy, but they put uh, Hoist in because he's smaller and he just looks like a regular dude. He's like 180 pounds. And he went in there and he choked out all these karate guys, kung fu guys, actual real kickboxers. And over the course of a few UFCs, they figured out that almost every fight ends up on the ground. About yeah. 90% of the fights end up on the ground. Um, and then everyone started learning jiu-jitsu. And then once people started learning some of the basic defenses to jiu-jitsu, then um, striking started taking over again. So you have really good kickboxers mm. that are able to not get choked out that could knock people out. That's interesting. Then, I didn't know that. Then wrestlers yeah. decided to get involved in the game. And then wrestlers started taking everybody down, and they just beat you up and headbutt you. Then they made headbutts illegal. <laughs> oh, <laughs> then, <wow. laughs> uh, then jiu-jitsu guys uh, started to learn a little bit of striking, and everybody learned jiu-jitsu. So now everyone is kind of athletic. And now that everyone's really athletic, now you see super athletes like John Jones and, you know, NFL caliber type athletes. Yeah. In UFC, actually, uh, people that didn't make the NFL or get cut from teams going to UFC as well. Um, now you have total athletes, and now they're picking up the traditional martial arts again. 
you see him throwing like taekwondo kicks and spinning kicks and they've done more than just a classic tie box and they're putting in karate and we actually there was a great uh ufc champion leota machito who was basically just a karate guy with a black belt in jiu-jitsu and uh, he'd pop in like uh, almost like fencing style crack you and put you to sleep is that so like that suddenly like that's a strategy is uh you don't necessarily have to grapple somebody but you get in and you strike them boom that's it they're yeah down. if you watch ufc there's a lot less grappling than there was in the old days now there's i'd say you know there's a lot more fights that are all contested on the feet or when it hits the ground they're both just kind of holding on to each other because now now you have two experts on the ground they both know what's going on so it's very hard to submit in the old days, it'd be like a black belt in jiu-jitsu against somebody that maybe never been on the ground before and didn't even know what to look for. Now everyone's well-versed in everything, so now it's just like an athletic contest. And to me, it's better than it's ever been, but it's a little oversaturated with how many fights there are. That's that's cool, though. Yeah, that's, that, the evolution of that, you know, when you know, the rules change, obviously, a little bit, but that evolution that the only thing that really matters is, you know, making the other person submit or knocking them out, that's... Uh, uh, you know, that makes the sport and going back to, you know, my thoughts a little bit about sports makes it pure. It, the result is the result is obvious. You know, one person makes the other person submit. And, you know, I hope the guys aren't getting hurt and having lifelong injuries and stuff like that. I hope that the sport's able to keep people pretty healthy. But um, but it's a uh, it's a a special uh, it's a special sport. I can I can tell. Yeah. Now, uh, now there's weight cutting because originally there's no weight classes. So everyone just fought everyone. That's how it was when I started. No weight classes, no gloves, just. You know, you go in there, groin strikes were legal. It was like really, it was really pure. It was a fight. Now it's more of an athletic contest. This is a sport. I would say it may be more dangerous than it used to be, but I think that um, it's definitely uh, much, much more enjoyable to watch. It's more of a spectator sport because you got two athletes really smacking the hell out of each other. The only thing that makes it more dangerous is the weight cutting because. These guys are cutting 15, 20, 30 pounds, and then they're fighting the next day. And some of them are having, like, kidney failure and their organs yeah. shut down. It's That's a dangerous part of the sport. I've heard that you're trying to crack down on that in high schools and colleges and stuff because, you know, you get, you get kids, you know, that are that are doing this, and they don't they, they don't necessarily appreciate the risks they're doing to their bodies. You know? Yeah, wrestling went to hydration testing. So now in high school and college wrestling, um, they test your hydration level at the start of the season, and they tell you what's the lowest weight class you can go to, and you can't go below that weight class. It doesn't matter what you weigh. That's the lowest weight class you can wrestle at. So they have hydration testing and do it again at the end of uh, mid-season, and you can only wrestle what you can get uh, certified for. That's cool. So that that's the way that I think most of the sports should it, be. It's probably more fair that way too. I mean, really. I mean, the idea of weight classes is to make things fair. So, you know, set the rules so they're fair, and – you know, don't let people, you know, don't encourage people to put themselves in harm's way to, to make a weight right. class. That's a pretty, pretty good idea. Well, probably. you're incentivized to get those low as you can. So you're a bigger guy in the weight class and you're more yeah. bigger and dominant. So you see guys that probably walk around 190 can make it down to 55. Some of them make it down to 45. Like Conor McGregor oh, wow. can walk around like 185 and he started out at 145, you know. You're kidding me. Wow. No. Wow. It, and those guys get down to like 70 the week before. So it's all water weight. So when you lose that much water weight, you put that much water weight back on when you fill your body back up. Yeah. And, uh, man, they, they're going to be some big dudes. That's a scary thing sometimes. Yeah, that, yeah, I'll bet. So you would probably, what do you weigh? Uh, right now I weigh 210. Yeah, so we'd probably get you down to 170 to fight. Yeah, that would, <laughs> yeah, I when I was at my best, um, 
I was about 172 when I was in the Navy and I felt pretty good. And I could go lower than that. I should really. I mean, you look at a body mass index thing for me and I'm you know, supposed to be around like 160, 165. So, yeah. Yeah. I lost 24 pounds in eight hours before. Wow. That's the most I ever did. That was pretty bad. I thought I was going to die that time. Wow. I was like shaking. I almost passed out Holy on the scale. Oh. And then I had to wrestle like two hours after I weighed in. That was brutal. That wasn't even for a fight. It was just for wrestling. For fun. I met a guy. Uh, here in Buffalo, who was uh, the second alternate for the U.S. boxing team in 1976. Oh, yeah? He was... fought with the, yeah, Russell. Oh, I'm going to forget his last name. Can't believe it. Can't Thompson? Believe it. Nope. Not Russ Thompson? Nope. Um, shoot. Hmm. He was a man. And the, the the unfortunate thing is they take one alternate to the Olympic team. This was Sugar Ray Leonard and Leon Spinks. Mm-hmm. And he describes, um, oh, man, I wish I could remember his last name. I'll, I'll email it to you. I'll find it. All right. Yeah, yeah. Um, and I uh, met him at work, and um, really, really nice, humble guy. And um, still, I mean, he's like, when he told me, his, you know, how old he was, like, he was like 60-something, and I, I mean, he looked 50, you know, and he <laughs> still works out. But uh, he, he talked about boxing. But I guess what I was, you were talking about these big guys, and, um, you know, he was talking about being so good. I mean, can you imagine being that good? You could have gone to the Olympics. But then he said, yeah, but uh, the Spinks boys, boy, they could they could really hurt you. <laughs> and he said when he got this wistful look in his eye when he was talking about it and what could have been, you know. And then he said, yeah, but um, when uh, I forget if it was Leon or Michael Spinks fought the Cuban and uh, and uh, I think uh, the American won, but they he got they beat each other up bad. And he was saying strength matters so much. I was a little surprised because I was having the kind of same conversation with him. I said, oh, you know, fencing is all uh, timing and distance. And he said, yeah, but in boxing, strength. <laughs> he said, these guys, the Spinks, Spinks brothers, they were so strong. They could hit so hard. Yeah, anyway. Boxers can do a lot of damage in just a little bit of space. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. That And he had sparred these guys. I mean, so that's his claim to fame, you know. He had, he had been a very good boxer, and he had trained with the Olympic team, and he had fought. Uh, Leon and Michael Spinks and got beat up pretty good with them when they were sparring. Apparently, it's yeah. a tough business, man. Take a, a lot of business. lot of hand, head damage too. I uh, I trained with some uh, a guy who's about to turn pro in boxing. They spar like three times a week, and uh, I don't know. Do you know who James Tony is? I don't. He was a, a heavyweight boxer. He fought for a title a bunch of times. He was really good. Uh, we had him on this podcast before, and uh, me and my co-host Ray. He usually sits where you're sitting. We're we're interviewing this guy over the phone, and we can't even understand what he's saying. Like his, like you can't, you can't. Like first of all, like no offense, but he's a black guy and he speaks abonics, so we're we're already a little bit short trying to talk with him. Ray's like uh, Mexican, so he kind of he's pretty good on the street lingo, but uh, he was so garbled when he was talking. Yeah, and uh, dude, that was probably our most highest ranked uh, podcast. Yeah, like uh, I think we got five thousand six hundred hits on it now. Oh man. And, That's uh, cool. Like people listen to it, but you, the, you I, blast right through that talking about fencing here with this guy. Yeah, 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 <laughs> for sure. We're, we're gonna be over ten thousand hits for sure. And um, so uh, I can look on the computer when I post it and see how long people listen to it. I I have like over five thousand hits where people listen to it for about three and a half minutes. That's funny. And so like he starts talking about three minutes in because we do our intro and then. Then we introduce him, and he's and I'm looking at Ray, dude. I can't. I'm like writing down on the thing. I can't understand what he's saying. So it was just a horrible podcast. But what I think happened is everyone listened to him talk, and then they're just like messaging each other and right. like listen to this guy, dude. He can't even talk anymore. Oh man, yeah, it's yeah, pretty yeah, bad. Yeah, some there's some serious damage happens to these guys. Yeah, it's hard to retire though. I know the feeling. <laughs> 
Ah, uh, got anything else, man? You want to plug the club again? Oh, I got one more question for you. Actually, yeah. I was thinking about, uh, and I forgot. Now I just remembered. How many competitions are there for fencing? Because I've never really seen like fencing advertised anywhere, and I'm around a lot of like small gyms and do UB a lot for some of the wrestling and jujitsu stuff. Yeah, unfortunately, it's very small. There are a number. If if a person wants to fence competitively, you're probably going to get six or eight uh, tournaments throughout the year that are either here in Buffalo or in Rochester, probably. Um, but the only people that know about them are fencers and their, you know, wives. <laughs> <laughs> that bad, huh? Yeah, it's uh, it fe- really seriously fencers attend. There's a, um, there is a really good club over in Rochester, the Rochester Fencing Club, that is run by a former Olympian. Um, the Zimmerman sisters, I think, I don't know if both sisters are still running the club or not, but they... Um, they're the most serious club here in Western New York, um, and they host some competitions over there at their facility. And but but uh, there's a there's a handful throughout the year that are that are hosted. But the only people that show up to these things is it's really it's really unfortunate that you really only get fencers. It's just not much of a spectator sport. If it wasn't for the Olympics, I don't know how many people would watch fencing. We're pretty fortunate that that it's cool. People like fencing, um, and you know it stays an Olympic sport. It is tough to watch. Uh, it's hard to see the action. You kind of have to know the rules. Um, so if anybody is watching it, um, I highly recommend you get something that's got a, a replay. It's got something in slow motion so that you can that you can really see what goes on because it can be kind of frustrating otherwise. You watch what happens. Two ventures come together. One of them screams because he's happy. One of them screams because he's mad. And, you know, you don't really know what happened. But then if you see the replay and you can see, you know, that one block the other person and then hit, that's, that's, that's fun. But it's a tough spectator sport. I mean, for myself, it's tough to watch live and know all the action that that that's happening if there's one close you should message me i'd love to go check one out okay all right i'll do that and then yeah. we'll go check it out how much are they get in or like 50 oh. bucks since no one comes <laughs> <laughs> gotta raise the prices to get in i think we gotta start paying people to go uh, <laughs> they are of course they are of course free i mean if you get if there was any single one person that showed up at one of these little tournaments that wasn't actually a fencer or like drove a fencer there it would be you know, a pretty spectacular thing. So wow, maybe we, I shouldn't go. Like a, my reps like going to go down. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, right, right. What do you do? Oh, I fight professionally. <laughs> okay. Yeah. No, you'd, you'd, you would enjoy uh, seeing a fencing competition. Um, I think it, I think I'd be able to, to see what's yeah. going on, too. Like, I'm used yeah. to such a high speed, like, jabbing and punching and professional fighters. They move very fast, too. I'm pretty good at picking stuff up. I would yeah. really enjoy to watch the footwork, I think. Yeah, I'll um, I'll find where there's something local. Um the best thing that you'd see is be probably one of these ones in Rochester. Uh, drive you over there if you wanted to see that. But you know, that's that's a hike. Don't have to do that. I'll find something local for you that you can right. watch too. And I'll get you into a fight. I uh, do commentary okay. for Ground Force fights, man. I'll get you tickets to a fight. Okay, uh, all right. Be on me. All right. Take you out, Rich Mitchell. I need I need a comp ticket. <laughs> all, all right. right. Uh, got anything else, man? No, man. Thanks. All this right. Is, we did an hour, hour and ten minutes. It's pretty good. All right. All right, I appreciate it. Thanks for coming over, man. I appreciate it. I got to get a picture of you so Thank I can get it posted when we do it. All right. And uh, we're out. K-Man's Corner's out of here. We don't have Ray today, so we're gone. Uh, that wasn't too bad. That was fun. Yeah. Yeah, really I hope it goes well for you. I mean, I, I thank you. That was, it's a pleasure for me to talk about fencing and... And uh, it's a real nice for me to be able to plug the club because, yeah. I mean, people fencers come in you know we get we get people at college um because there'll be clubs like mm-hmm. ub will have a club or somebody will be um you know familiar with it from that but then if you're not in college what do you do and so then that, that's how we usually get somebody that'll come into the into the club but it's just not it's not a real popular sport unfortunately yeah.
that's, so that's it's always nice to yeah they put a demo on uh at the elmwood arts festival and usually 